The reading this morning is taken from Acts 15, verses 1 to 21. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, my brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David, which has fallen. From its ruins, I will rebuild it, and I will set it up, so that all other people may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornications and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city... For generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. Amen. Good. Thank you, Hilary, very much indeed. And so we come this morning to continue thinking about welcome and particularly to the challenge of welcome. I came across this quote uh, which was on a doormat or something on a post uh, on the entrance to a house, which said, Welcome to our comfortable, happy, sometimes loud, usually messy, full of love home. 
Uh, and I thought it was a nice, actually, expression of welcome. It, it had warmth about it. It had reality about it. It was, uh, it was just uh, colorful and seemed very appropriate. The challenge of welcome, we're thinking particularly in this part of our series, uh, we're thinking particularly about God's welcome to us and our welcome to other people. And it's provoked particularly by one phrase in our mission statement, which says this, that we see a church who welcomes and embraces all in the name of Jesus. We seek to create a culture of invitation, ensuring all that we do is engaging, relevant and attractive, while keeping the gospel at the center, a place where all are welcomed, accepted and loved. Those are great words, and we're just trying to unpack some of them with some of these stories in the book of Acts and some of the different aspects and elements that come in welcome. And so this morning, we take that theme just a little bit deeper. Uh, just to recap, and I know that uh, some of you have been here all the way through, some of you uh, have perhaps been to one or two of these. Uh, a few weeks ago, I spoke from, Philippian, uh, from Acts chapter 8 about Philip and the Ethiopian official, uh, how Philip came alongside the Ethiopian official and the whole idea of coming alongside those who are finding their way to Jesus and, and that element of welcome as a pathway to faith. And then we have Peter and Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, recognizing that everyone is different, but equally special in the sight of God, equally welcome in the Christian community. Just a couple of weeks ago, Nick spoke from Acts chapter 28 about Paul at Malta, that place of hospitality and welcome and how hospitality is such an important part of our welcome. And now we come this morning to Acts chapter 15, to Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James, all four of them in the Council of Jerusalem, facing something of the challenge around welcome. And I think the key question as we come to this story in the book of Acts, and as we think about what it's saying to us today, the key question is this, what is needed for someone to really belong in the church of Jesus Christ? What is necessary for someone to really belong in the church of Jesus Christ? Anyone can come. Everyone is welcome. But what is the key to really belonging? Do you have to dress in a certain way? Do you have to go through any particular entry rituals? Do you have to behave in a certain manner? What are the essential beliefs? Are there any barriers to belonging in the church of Jesus Christ? These are the kind of questions which actually people ask very often because there are those who will come to church and really haven't had anything of a Christian background and it's all very different and very unusual. You say, what do I need to do? What do I need to think? What do I need to believe in order to really belong? And there are times when these questions become quite deeply challenging in a church community. In our particular way of working in Baptist churches, we have what is called church membership, which is a kind of formal recognition of those who are committed to Jesus Christ and committed to this particular group of God's people. And the existing members will welcome new members 
And it's the whole membership together that makes the key decisions in the life of the church. So what then becomes important when we receive membership applications? Is there a difference between welcoming someone into the worshipping community by being open and friendly and interested? Uh, what else is needed for someone to be welcomed into the membership of the church? We have a church constitution. It's a kind of document that sets out the requirements and responsibilities of membership. And people's lives are very complex and don't always fit into neat patterns. And so then we have to apply some of those principles into different situations and work out what this really means for lots of different people. And this is where the story in Acts 15 is actually very helpful. And I would suggest that Acts chapter 15 was probably the most challenging church meeting in the first century in the early church. But one of the most important. Here were early believers gathering together in Jerusalem, wrestling with what it really means about welcome. Because many of those early Christians were Jews, but an increasing number were Gentiles. And the word Gentile is really just a collective name for all the people who were not Jews. And there were very exciting stories about how the Gentiles were coming to believe in Jesus, how God was doing amazing thing in, things in their lives. Cornelius was the prime example, but there were many others. And it was clear that many Gentiles were believing in Jesus, were experiencing the Holy Spirit. So should those people go through the rite of circumcision, which was the question in the first century, and all the requirements of the Jewish law, in order to be Christians? Did they have to almost become Jews first in order to be Christians? Is Christianity an extension of Judaism? Or is it something so new and so radical that there's no need for the Gentile believers to journey through the requirements of Judaism? And the conclusion of this church meeting in the first century was that God had not made any distinction between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, so they shouldn't either. Anyone who believes in Jesus and is experiencing the grace of God in their lives should be equally welcome in the community of the church. Nevertheless, there were some requirements given to the Gentile believers based around their need to respect the consciences of the Jewish believers and enable a true harmony to be created in the life of the church. It would be very difficult if some rules applied to one group of people and they didn't apply to another group of people. And so they had to work a way towards harmony in that mixed early Christian community. And we only get a tiny little taste of that because I'm quite sure the detail of it was really very challenging. What we read is uh, some actual requirements that were put on the gentle belie Gentile believers, which seem a little bit of a strange mix of moral and ceremonial matters. But in the end, the important point is that these were behavioral issues, secondary to the main point that Gentile believers did not need to be circumcised as Jews. Now, I don't want to dwell any more on the Acts 15 story. It's a very powerful one. It's a very useful illustration of how the first century church was grappling 
with many similar challenges to what we face in the 21st century church. And for some people, it was a hard step to take. This whole idea of welcome and inclusion from such a diverse group of people was a deep challenge in the first century. And there is a sense in which those challenges come to us equally now. And so there are some lessons that we can learn in our life together that emerge out of this story, which I just want to highlight for you this morning. And I've got four of them. And the first is to listen carefully. Because as we look again at this story, we find that the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling the signs and wonders God had done among them, among the Gentiles, through them. That was a real listening. You see, you get different kinds of listening. You get people who kind of listen, but half switch off because they say, oh, I've heard it before, or I'm not really wanting to engage with what someone is saying. But here, the Jewish believers had to pay careful attention to what Barnabas and Maul shared, about the signs and wonders. Peter also spoke, and we can assume that he shared the story of the vision of the food that came down on a sheet and how he was led to believe that all are the same in the sight of God and the Holy Spirit's power came such, in such an extraordinary way on the household of Cornelius. And it seems to me that there are times today when God is working in unexpected ways, in unusual places, and we need to listen carefully to those stories. I hope you keep up with a little bit of what God is doing in the world today. Different people will read different magazines or look at different posts uh, in electronic communication or whatever it is that feeds your mind with those things that God is doing today. Stretch the boundaries and get excited by what is God is doing in different parts of the world, amongst different communities, in different people groups. First-hand testimony is always best. When someone speaks of what they themselves had experienced, I expect that Peter in Jerusalem wished that Cornelius from Caesarea was there to tell his own story rather than Peter reporting it. I expect that Paul wished that some of the believers from Antioch were there in Jerusalem rather than Paul and Barnabas explaining what had happened. When did you last hear a story of God speaking and working in a significant way in the lives of other people? Listen carefully. Those testimonies are important. And when it's you that experiences something of the work of God's Spirit in your heart, share the story. Don't hold it to yourself because that will be a blessing to others. And our understanding of what God is doing across the world is enriched as we listen carefully. So listen carefully, so very important. And then allow your own deep convictions to be challenged. You see, in this story, James took the people back to the Bible, took them back to Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And the testimony of others led them to look again at the Bible and actually find out that in the Old Testament, in the prophets, Amos was saying that this is what was going to happen in the rebuilding and the restoring of David's fallen tent. Even all the Gentiles 
who bear my name will come to the Lord. This sense of Gentile mission wasn't something very new. It had been predicted many times previously. And so the testimony of others led to a fresh understanding of Scripture, which led to their own convictions being challenged. And I think this is so important because sometimes we think that we have the teaching of Scripture all neatly wrapped up in a package which equals our own beliefs. Not so. This book is dynamite. It keeps on speaking to us, keeps on challenging us, keeps on causing us to revisit what we have previously thought. The task of interpreting the eternal word of God never stops. There's always more to see and more to understand. And I think if we look into the history of the church, we find that there are times when the church has kind of not seen something. And then 50, 100 years later, it's become so important and so obvious. And then they look back and say, how on earth did they miss that? And there will be another generation of believers in 50 or 100 years' time, if the Lord wills, who will look back on our generation and say, how on earth did they miss that? We need to allow our convictions to be challenged and to rethink as we see the Spirit of God at work. And so that leads me to say, give space for the Holy Spirit to lead. Because a little further on in this uh, account in Acts chapter 15, there's a letter that was sent to the Gentile believers, or at least to some of them. And in the introduction to that letter, they said, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. So the way the Jerusalem church responded to others was that they had sensed that God had spoken to them, that it was, seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that this should happen. And so their response was a process of spiritual discernment. What is God saying to us here and now about this issue? And we need that same process of discernment in our own shared life. Because we'll often come at specific topics from different angles and different views. And it's not necessarily what the majority thinks that matters. It's what God is saying as we carefully reflect on Scripture and on the testimony that we are hearing from other people. Give space for the Holy Spirit to lead. Jesus talks about the Spirit as the counselor who will lead you into all truth. You may not have all the truth at this moment in time. I may not have all the truth at this moment in time. But the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. So give space for the Spirit to, leave, to lead. And finally, make wise decisions based on all the evidence. These are the four lessons that it seems to me emerge from this story. Make wise decisions based on all the evidence. The actual decisions made in Jerusalem in the first century might seem to us a little bit of a mixed bag. The main point was that Gentile Christians should be fully welcomed into the church without the right of circumcision. That made huge sense. And then they added some extra conditions about abstaining from food offered to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled anim animals, and from sexual immorality. Three of those conditions seem to be around the ceremonial issues arising from the Jewish laws. 
and one moral issue. Perhaps an unusual combination, but at the time, they were considered necessary out of respect for the laws of Moses and the harmony of all God's people. We're in a different place now. We're in a different time. But the need for wise decisions is every bit as important. There are challenges in the church today about what is essential, what is secondary, what is the basis of our faith, what are the requirements that sit around membership. And there are some things that we do need to be wrestling with a little bit more than we have up until now. And that is why uh, a little bit later on this year and early into next year, we're just making the first tentative steps towards planning a number of open forums where as a group of people together, we can sit down in a conversational style and just ask some of those deeper questions and work out some of the challenging concerns that we might have around theology and ethics and behavior, these sort of things. Our challenge is not the inclusion of Gentiles as equals in the church. That was a first century challenge. We have different issues around theology, around morality, around ethics. But today's challenges are equally important. And what I'm doing this morning is just giving the foundation on which we explore these things together as part of our welcome and part of our inclusion. But ultimately, and more important than any of that, is to recognize that we have a God who welcomes us. Ultimately, it is not so much what we do to one another. It's what God does to us. We have a God who welcomes us. Whoever you are, whatever you think, however you feel, whatever you might have done, our Father in heaven welcomes you today. His arms are open wide. His love is without conditions. This image on the screen, a little bit uh, dull in the daylight, it's a very powerful painting by Rembrandt of the story of the prodigal son, of how the father welcomes the son, embraces him. What a great image for Father's Day, just to capture the Lord God, our Father in heaven, who so welcomes us, whatever mess we are in, embraces us, longs to draw in also the elder son who's standing a little bit at a distance, but longs to draw everyone in because he loves us all so deeply and so dearly. And that's why it's good that this morning we come to communion because in bread and wine we can recognize the welcome, the deep welcome and the love of Jesus. And whatever's going on in your mind and in your life today, as we move towards this next section of the service, I pray that you will come to that place where you recognize how much Jesus loves you and welcomes you this morning and wants you to know the warmth 
of his embrace. And there's only one reason why that's possible. And that is because he showed the full extent of his love when he died for us. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sin, can make us pure within, can bring us to that place of welcome and harmony in the family of God and bring us as brothers and sisters together in the community of the church. So as we transition towards communion, let's sing this beautiful song, Nothing but the blood of Jesus.